Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to talk to you on the subject, Hope Grows Here. It's not just our church's tagline, although that is the church tagline, but it's more than just that. Um, It's something that we believe. It's something that we have, you know, when we were planning this whole rebranding and relaunch, I almost don't like to say rebrand. It sounds like a a business transaction. But during this relaunching of our church and this new name, we gave a lot of thought and our leadership team gave a lot of thought to what what was going to be the tagline for the church? What was going to be the thing that people outside in the community, that when they saw us, what would they see? And so we, we talked about it as a leadership team and wrestled over a bunch of, different, bunch of different options. I think we had like 30 or 40 different taglines that we had. And, uh, and this is the one that stuck. This is the one that felt the best. Hope grows here. Um, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15, please. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 is where we're going to begin today. Romans 15, verse 13. I hope to stir you up with this message today. I hope that this catalyzes within you a desire to know God more and a desire to go deeper in the things of God and a desire to trust God and hope for his best, even when the world around you seems to offer you its worst. Amen. How many of you know that we're in a very chaotic time in our world right now? Amen. I had some thoughts about whether or not I would spend much time talking about that this morning. A lot of things have happened since we were last here in our, in our culture, in our country, in our government. Um, and I thought about, should I address all that? Should I make a statement about it? And I thought, you know what? There's been enough statements made. Um, let's keep our eyes on the ball. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, when Peter was walking on the water, when he was doing something absolutely supernatural, the only thing that stopped him walking on the water is that he took his eyes off of Jesus. And when times get chaotic, it's easy for us to feel that we have to have a response to everything that happens around us. And I want you to know and understand that while it's good, while we, sh- while we should respond positively to the things that happen in our world, while we should show people what it means to be a Christian, uh, at the same time, it's very imperative that we don't take our eyes off Jesus. Amen. As things get crazy around us, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. Amen. So that's about all I'm going to say about that. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 is where I want to read from this morning. And it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple things about this scripture that stand out. Now, if you remember at the end of last year, we did our, our Dare to Hope series. Remember that? That was when we announced Hope Church and all this stuff. Um, when we did that series, we talked about this scripture, and we, and we pulled some things out of it. There was a message, uh, I think it was the third or the fourth message in that series was called Side Dishes. And we talked about the side dishes that come with hope. Aren't you thankful for side dishes? 
Hallelujah. How many of you grew up in a meat and three uh, southern uh, dining experience? You pick your meat and pick your three side dishes. Well, hope comes with some side dishes, amen? comes with joy, and it comes with peace, amen? Uh, And so that's what we kind of pulled out of this scripture the last time we talked about it, but I want to pull some other things out this time. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Stop right there for a second. Aren't you glad that God identifies himself as the God of hope, not the God of despair? You know, if you look at other world religions, if you look down through history and you see what other gods looked like at other times, uh, you know, you can look through, through cultures all over the world and ancient cultures, and you can see how back then people were terrified of their gods. Think about it. They set up gods and they made offerings and sacrifices to these gods because they were terrified of them. We don't, want the, we don't want such and such a god to curse us. And so they were terrified of their God. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be terrified of our God? He's the God of hope, not the God of despair, not the God who's looking to beat you over the head as soon as you make a mistake. Amen. Aren't you thankful that we serve that kind of God, a loving God, a caring God, a generous God? I love that Paul identifies him at the beginning of this verse. He is the God of hope. He's the God of hope of expectation. Josh talked about it just a moment ago in the offering, that hope, one of the primary definitions for hope is that it is an expectation of the good that is to come. God identifies himself of a God who gives an expectation and a reason to hope. Amen. He doesn't just make a promise and then leave you off to figure out whether or not he's going to fulfill it. He actually intends to fulfill every promise that he makes to you. That's why we can look at him and call him the God of hope. When he says he'll take care of our needs, we can expect that he will take care of our needs. Now he goes on to say, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you, this is the, the, the part of the sentence that jumped out at me, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that you're not supposed to just have a little bit of hope? Amen. In the world around us, we see people who have almost no hope. They're what we would call hopeless, right? And I think I, I think I mentioned this during our hope series last year that the the opposite of hope or the absence of hope is despair. Despair. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 27, I believe it's verse 13. I didn't put it in my notes, but let's run over here for just a second. Psalm 27. And I want to say it's verse 13. Boy, this is one of those, oh, Lord, I hope I'm right about this because it's not in my notes. Here, yeah, it is. Here, Psalm 27, 13. Watch this. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. What a verse. I would have lost heart. I would have despaired. I would have been hopeless. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Listen, it's not just good enough for us to, to take that escapist, sweet by and by mentality. Oh, God will sort everything else out when we get to heaven. No, he's actually better than that. 
He's actually better than that. Yeah, of course it's going to be great when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be, as the song says. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. It's going to be great. But do you know that God has bigger plans for you than just get you out of here and get you to heaven? He actually wants to do something with your life to transform the world that's surrounding you right now. Amen. So that's why when the world gets despairing, when the people around us are the, are the people identified in this verse, I would have lost hope. How many of you know there's people out there losing heart and losing hope and despairing all the time? We're surrounded by them. Well, we need to take the perspective and take the stance that I, I'm, I've been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. I've been called to be here right now so that I can, so that I can be a light and a, and a catalyst of hope in the life of somebody else around me. Amen. That's what we want to do. Let's not just have this idea that I'm just going to hold on and white knuckle until the rapture and Jesus gets us all out of here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, the rapture will be great when it happens, okay? But let's, let's, let's strive for something bigger. Let's aim higher. Let's abound in hope. As Paul says, and you can go back to Romans 15, he says that we would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to abound? It's not a trick question. What does it mean to abound? It means to have too much. It means to have too much. Most people are living out there with nowhere near enough hope. Some of them are hopeless, as we've just said. Some of them are living lives of despair. You and I are not called to be in that category. We're called to be those who have too much hope. I'm talking about God wants you to have so much hope and so much expectation in your life that it just absolutely rubs off on everybody that you encounter. What if you just became, like our t-shirts are going to say in a couple weeks, a hope dealer? Come on. What if, you just, what if you just became a hope dealer? What if just everywhere, listen, listen, here's why I love that phrase, okay? And, and y'all can thank Josh Honeycutt for that one. He told me that at lunch, and I was like, that's it? That's going to be one of the t-shirts we make, hope dealer. Here's the thing about that. Here's why I love that, okay? I don't know if any of y'all in your days before Jesus had any chance to dabble with drugs. But here's one of the things you know about a dealer. A dealer's got what you need, right? Can I just talk like real? Can y'all just take a deep breath and let's just pretend like, let's not pretend we were born at church, okay? We, everybody, everybody's got a past, okay? Right? Like, like everybody knows when you were back in high school or college and everybody was experimenting with all kinds of stuff, y'all know who had the stuff. Y'all know who had the thing that you wanted to get, right? You go talk to the dealer and the dealer will hook you up. What if you became the hope dealer that everybody around you knew when I need hope, I go to this guy. Hey, come on. What if, it, I, this, what if, what if, what if your life just became so magnetized by the power of God? Because remember, Paul says here that it's by the Holy Spirit that we abound with hope. It's by the power of the Holy Ghost working in you and working in me that we literally become a beacon of hope for the people around us. What if you were the guy in the neighborhood that everybody's like, oh, you want some of that good, good? You want some of that hope? You, you go down to the block and you see this guy and he'll fill you up. You know what I'm talking about? That's what this verse is about. That's what Paul's trying to get us to, to think about. 
is that we would become a people that is defined by hope to the degree that we abound in it. Amen. Because the reality is this. God's will is that we have too much. God is an abundant God, okay? We just talked about it in an offering. It was a great offering, Josh. God is an abundant God. And if you don't believe that, just look outside. I mean, like one pastor says, how much sky do we need? How much sky do we need? Have you ever looked in a watermelon and seen how many seeds were in it? Everything God creates has an abundance built and programmed into itself. God is a God of abundance. And so when it comes to hope, it's no different. When it comes to joy, it's no different. When it comes to peace, it's no different. Whatever God has that he wants you to have, his goal is that you have too much of it. Because, again, the purpose behind the too much is that we actually have a resource to give and supply to the world around us. Amen. Because the reality is this. You can't give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. If you and I don't have any hope, we're no good to the world. Where, I mean, where else is the world going to go to find their hope if they can't come to us? I mean, this week, this week when, when everything was crazy was going on at the Capitol building, the next morning, our pastor, Pastor Jonathan, just he posted this video that was so absolutely phenomenal. And I, I shared it on my uh, social media And in it, he was just pointing people back to Jesus. And what what struck me so much was it was like, man, that's who I need to be in my life. A person who is so buoyant and so full of the hope of God that I actually have something that can point people back to Jesus. That my life would actually direct people back to the Lord. Where else are people going to get hope if they can't come to the church and find it? You can't give what you don't have. And furthermore, you can only give big when you have an abundance. Again, this word abound here is really, really important. You can't give what you don't have, and you can only give big if you have more than enough to give. God's not interested in you just having just enough hope for you and for your family. He wants you to have more than enough. Now, if we're going to have too much hope, then that means we need to Grow in hope. That's why our tagline, and you see it in places around the building, is hope grows here. Because if we're going to be a people of hope, then we need to be constantly growing in hope. When you get around us, we expect that hope is going to rub off on you. Because hope here is growing. We're constantly going to be growing in hope. We believe that as you interact with the people of this church, you're going to get some hope planted on the inside of your heart. Amen? So what does it mean to have hope, especially in a world where hope seems to be on the decline? What does it mean to have hope? Well, the first first thought that comes to my mind in answering that question is that we have to change the source of our hope. First thing we have to do, change the source of our hope. If you're looking for something out there in the world to give you hope, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Amen. How many of you have ever had the world let you down? 
yeah. Like, you'd like raise hands and feet. And like, yeah, yeah, I've let the, the world has let me down. The world has let you down. So it's a poor source. It's a poor place to go to find hope. Now, there's a lot that you can find in the world. You can find inspiration, right? You can find beauty. You can find wonder. There's things in this world that you can go and, you know, just walk around, especially where we live. Gosh, just walk outside for five minutes and you can see something beautiful. There's, there's things that you can find in the world, but there are some things that you don't want to rely on the world for. And hope is one of them. If you're looking for something out there to give you hope, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. God needs to be the source of our hope, not the world. The world will let us down, but Jesus will never let us down. We need to remember that, that I'm so thankful that Brianne opened the service with this. We didn't plan it. But we need to remember that Hebrews chapter 6 says that it's impossible for God to lie. That was so good that you quoted that. It's impossible for God to lie. He made us a promise so we can put faith and trust and hope in that promise. Now, the second thing, first thing is we need to change the source of our hope. And the second thing is the one I want to kind of hit home on for a few minutes today. The second thing is that we need to recognize having hope means to see things from God's point of view. So the question we asked is, what does it mean to have hope, especially having hope in a, in a world where hope is on the decline? First thing is, change the source of your hope. Don't look to the world for your hope. Second thing is, understand and recognize that having hope means seeing things from God's perspective. I'm going to give you a, 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 a passage that I want us to look at, and it comes from Isaiah chapter 6. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but it's, oh, it's so good. Isaiah chapter 6. This is just amazing to me. And I'm going to read you quite a, just a few verses in here. I think seven or eight verses we'll read. Y'all doing okay this morning? Everybody good? Oh, this is so much fun. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, this is an amazing story here. This is an amazing little passage. Isaiah is in, he gets caught up into a vision. And the Bible explains here that it starts out in verse 1 saying, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the king that had been reigning in Israel for some time. And he was, by the, you know, for all intents and purposes, a king that Israel loved. If you look at Israel's history, they did not love all of their kings. Many of their kings were wicked and were terrible. King Uzziah was actually a pretty good one. And so when King Uzziah died, he was actually a distant cousin of Isaiah. And so Isaiah himself was very discouraged, disappointed. And the whole land of Israel was in a bad place. Their king had just died. Those of you in the room who are old enough to remember when John F. Kennedy was murdered will remember what kind of sadness happened in the country back then. It's one of the things my mom has said. I've heard her say this many times. She said, I could tell you exactly where I was when we heard the news that President Kennedy had been assassinated. You know, when a world leader dies like that, it's really sad. And so the nation of Israel was in mourning. They were in a terrible situation. Everything around them seems to be collapsing because of the death of their king. And watch what happens to Isaiah. Verse 1 
of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, we're going to say a lot of things, but one thing I want to say before we go any farther is um, that it's interesting that Isaiah points out here, the train of his robe filled the temple. The robe of God, the train of his, of, of his robe, is, uh, is allegorical language used to describe the glory of God. So when you hear him talk about that, what he's saying is that he sees the Lord seated on a throne and the best way he can describe his glory is that it's like flowing off of God the way a train flows off of a bridal dress. You know, The train of his robe, the extent of his glory fills the whole thing. Well, why do I say that? Because you and I, it says here that the train of his robe filled the temple. You and I, according to 1 Corinthians, are the temple of the Lord. According to Peter, he says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God, that Christ lives in you? So before we even get into the seeing things from God's perspective, don't forget whose you are. You're the temple of the living God. He bought you with a price and he lives in you and he's filled you up with himself. And if you could look at your own self in the spirit, you would see somebody who's, who's filled with the glory of God. The same way that the temple was filled with God's glory in this verse. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Above it, that is above the throne, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with one, with two he flew. This is just super cool. I just want to get to heaven and meet these guys. Don't you want to meet the seraphim? They sound pretty baller. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow. Now, that is such a contrast to what we read in verse 1. In the nation of Israel, the king has died. The land is in chaos. People don't know what to do. They don't have hope. Yet at that same moment, Isaiah sees God. And when he sees God, here's what he sees. The whole earth filled with the glory of the Lord. The whole earth. Wait a minute, I thought you said that the temple was filled with his glory. Yeah, 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 the temple was filled with his glory. And so was the whole earth. And so is the universe for that fact. How many of you know God fills everything with himself? Amen. Amen. I just want to I just want to point out the the absolute contrast of those two statements. You see because you and I live in a world where if we were to look around we see a lot of despair. But when we begin to see things from God's perspective, we begin to see a completely different picture. To the nation of Israel, Things were going downhill fast. To, to, the, to the seraphim that flew around the throne of God, all they could see was the glory of God. Because remember what I said, having hope means seeing things from God's point of view. You can be in a situation and see that situation completely differently based on your perspective. I've told you this, as a matter of fact, every time I talk about this passage of Scripture, I 
feel the need to share this story. When I was flying into New York and going to, to uh, see some family there and, and was flying in over the Hudson. And there I was, it was like one of those beautiful days and the sun was shining and I flew right over the Hudson River and flew over the Statue of Liberty and came into LaGuardia and it was, what a beautiful day it was. I couldn't make out any people on the ground because I was up too high. And during that trip, uh, I went with my Uncle Joe and we went to the uh, Empire State Building. And so there in the Empire State Building, we went up to the top and we're looking out over everything. And I'm looking down and I could see the people and I could see the cars, but they were, they were tiny. And then on the way home, we decided to take a cab. And so we got in the cab and we're driving down Fifth Avenue. And, and I'm in the middle of it at that point. And everything seems big and enormous and all the people are everywhere and there's cars going and it's busy. If you've ever been to New York, you know what it's like in midtown Manhattan. It can be crazy. How many of you know I saw the same thing from three different perspectives? When I'm in the cab, I'm in it and I feel controlled by it because I'm in the middle of it. New York has a very, that's just the way it is in New York. When you're in New York, New York's got you, right? You're in the thick of it. And, and, and yet, when I got up to the Empire State Building, I saw the same scene. I was looking down on Fifth Avenue. If you know where the Empire State Building is, 34th and 5th, and you look down there, and I saw the same cabs, and I saw the same people, but I wasn't affected by it because I was looking at it from a different perspective. And then when I flew in into LaGuardia, I was way up higher than the situation. I, I couldn't even make out the cars and the chaos of Fifth Avenue because I was seated comfortably in heavenly places. I was seated in my seat looking out the window going, man, doesn't New York look beautiful? You see, there's power to seeing life from God's perspective. And when Isaiah gets caught up in this sixth chapter, what does he get to see? He gets a rare gem that most people don't get to see in their lifetime. He actually gets to see the world from God's point of view. If you're going to have hope, if you're going to be a hope dealer, if you're going to be an agent of hope in this world and in this community, you need to learn to see things from God's perspective. I know that hell might be breaking loose in your community, but it doesn't have to affect you because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places according to the book of Ephesians. Glory to God. Isaiah gets to see things from God's perspective. Can I preach for just a minute before we wrap up? Let me go buck wild for just a second. Let me tell you a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit about what God's perspective is for you. Okay, can we do that? Let me tell you just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Boy, if this doesn't light your, wire, your fire, your wood's wet. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known and have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those that have no might. He increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. That is God's perspective. 
See, it's easy for us to get our human understanding and get all tied up into our way of seeing things and our way of doing things and forget that God sees stuff from a whole different dimension. God sees things from a whole different level. I'm over here thinking that I, you know, I got to do it all and perform and be the best that I can. And, 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 you know, I'm thinking that I got all this pressure on me. And yet when I see things from God's perspective, I realize that his grace is sufficient for me. I realize that he's, that he hasn't lost control, that Jesus is still Lord. Have you not seen, have you not known the God who created heaven and earth? He doesn't sleep. He doesn't get weary. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Come on. I love what Numbers says. Oh boy, get me going. Hallelujah. Look at this. Actually, you know what? I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Well, look at, look at it first in the New King James. Numbers chapter 11, verse 23. I love this verse. Oh my gosh. Numbers chapter 11, verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses. Actually, you know what? Hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me back up a couple verses. Let me back up a couple verses. This is when the people, one of the many, many, many times that the people in Israel complained to Moses about being in the wilderness, okay? And this is what it says. They, say they have no, no food to eat. Look at, uh, look at verse, the end of verse 6. No, verse 18, excuse me. There's a little tiny 6 in my Bible. It threw me off, I'm sorry. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not 10 days, not 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you've despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? So Moses says to God, look at this. The people who I am, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Before we keep going, just let me break this down what we're reading. People have cried out to God. They've complained. Moses has gone to God. He's frustrated. This seems to be a daily occurrence. People do something stupid. God bails them out. They complain against Moses. They go to sleep. They get up. They do it all over again the next day. Moses has gone to God and said, what do you mean? You're going to give him, God says, I'm going to give you so much food, it's going to come out of your nostrils. And he says, what do you mean? How, how, how do you expect that we're going to eat that much meat? Look what he says, verse 21. The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you've said, I'll give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Everybody say man's perspective. That's man's perspective. God says, I'm going to give you so much food, it's going to come out of your nose. And Moses said, how in the world are you supposed to do that? Even if we killed all the, all the animals that we have, it still wouldn't be enough to feed them. Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, there's 600,000 men here. How do you expect to feed them? I love when God talks about himself in the third person. Look at, look at verse 24. So Moses, oh no, excuse me, verse 23. God said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. I love it in the New Living Translation. The Lord says to Moses, has my arm lost its power? 
How are we going to be people of hope? We get, we get to see things from God's perspective instead of seeing them from man's perspective. Moses can't peel himself away from the fact that they don't have enough animals to kill so that they can eat. And God's response is to say, hold up, Mo, has my arm shortened? Did the Lord stop being the Lord, in other words? David echoes this in Psalm 94, verse 9. He said, has he who planted the ear inability to hear? Has he who created the eye unable to see? God, I mean, God's so big, we can't forget how big he is. We can't lose sight of how awesome he is. If we're going to be filled with hope, we're going to need to remember who he said he is. Look at Judges chapter 6. Take a trip through the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6, talking about seeing things from God's perspective. I'm almost done. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. This is the story of Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) Come on. Mighty man of valor? Gideon is threshing wheat. Do you know what what threshing wheat is? It's it's like shucking corn. It's taking the outside husk off of the wheat. He He is threshing wheat in a wine press. That's like going to the bathroom in the kitchen, okay? Wrong place, wrong time, okay? He's, he's, why is he doing that? Why, the wine press is made for pressing wine. The threshing floor is made for threshing wheat. Why would he be threshing wheat in a wine press? Because he's terrified of these people called the Midianites who have been roaming the land of Israel and taking things over. So Gideon is not a mighty man of valor. He's afraid and he's hiding in his father's wine press so that he can thresh a little bit of wheat before daddy gets home. And the angel of the Lord appears before him and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Gideon goes, who? Some other Gideon in the room here you're talking to? You see, God never sees things from your perspective. He never sees things from your level. He always sees things from way up here that when the world calls you a weenie, when the world calls you a a, a wheat threshing in a wine press kind of guy, God looks at you and says, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty woman of valor. God called David to kill Goliath when he was a shepherd, not when he was a king. When he was a teenager, Israel looked at Goliath and they saw one man terrified a whole nation. That's crazy. One dude terrified an entire nation. The whole nation of Israel looks out and sees Goliath as this big champion. They said, what are we going to do? He's going to kill us all. David said, is there not a cause in Israel? Hasn't one, in other words, haven't one of y'all got a backbone? Did somebody forget whose people we are? Did somebody forget the covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Did y'all forget what happened at the Red Sea? Did you forget what happened when, when Moses put his staff down and it, ate the, it turned into a snake and it ate the staffs of the other Egyptians? 
Did y'all forget the 10 plagues? Did you forget how God showed up to us in the mountain of Sinai and gave us his law and gave us his commandments? Did you forget that he gave you water from a rock, that he gave you uh, manna every single morning in the desert? Did you forget the quail came down and you got to eat the quail every single night? Did you forget what happened with Joshua? And when he got to Jericho, all the people had to do was shout and the walls came falling down. Did you forget all of that? Is the arm of the Lord shortened? in Boone, North Carolina this morning. No, it is not. Did we forget what Paul says in Ephesians chapter three? That God desires to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or even imagine according to the power that is within us. We have got to learn to start seeing things from God's perspective. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live out of my own resource. I don't have a lot to give. In fact, without Jesus, I got nothing. Amen. Without Jesus, I'm nothing. Why does hope grow here? Why are we committed to being a people of hope? It's because that's what I believe, especially in these last days, especially in the time that we live in. I believe that's what people need. They need to see a God that cares about them. They don't just need to see a church that's interested in itself. Oh, can I be real with you for a second? They don't just need to see a church that's introverted and just interested in its own affairs. Too long do we spend only caring about what happens in these four walls. The world, we need to grow in hope because the world needs to see a church that isn't afraid to swim against the tide, that isn't afraid to actually bring some real answers to the problems that they have in their lives. I'm here to tell you, everybody that we look to to fix our problems can't do it, but Jesus can. And, and, and we need to be living representations of that to people. That's why hope grows here. Because we're going to be a people who don't put our hope in the world, but we, our source of hope is the living God. And we're going to be a people who learn to see things from God's perspective. Those are the manifest, if, if you don't remember anything else today, just remember that. I need to see things from God's perspective so I can be who he's called me to be. Now, this is our vision for 2021, you know. Each year we pray and we ask the Lord, what's the vision going to be for the next year? You know, towards the end of the year, we start to talk to God, say, Lord, what do you want to say to us about next year? Last year, 2020, our vision was transformation of life. It happened. This year, our vision is hope grows here. Hope grows here. And we'll spend time talking about that at greater length and we'll, we'll demonstrate that to the community as time goes on. Um, in fact, next week, we're going to start into a new series on our church's core values. So over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the five, different core va- the, the five different things that we value as a church. It's going to be really, really good. It's going to be a great way for us to kick off this year. I believe God has so much in his heart that is yet undone. 
that, that he wants to do in our church. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged to see each one of you here this morning. I'm encouraged to, to partner with you and connect with you in this vision that God has for the new year. You'll notice a few resources here. I want to show these to you if you haven't already seen them. Uh, we have new connect cards. We, we have trimmed the fat. And we, and we have gotten rid of multiple different forms for different things. And this is our, our new connect card. And you can see on the back, it has area for you to give your name and email and phone. And this is where, if you have prayer requests, the reason I bring this up is if you have prayer requests, this is where we want you to fill them out and drop them in the offering baskets each week. You'll also be able to do that on the New Hope Church website, launching later this week. And then we have these invitation cards. Gracie O'Loughlin hounded me about making invitation cards. And so we did. I thought it was a great idea. It says on the front, Hope Grows Here. It's got our logo on it. And on the back, I think they're scattered around the seats, I believe. The back says, everybody could use a little more hope. You're invited to come and see what real hope looks like. And it gives all of our information. There's even a little QR code that they can scan and get the directions right in Google Map. So why do I say this? Because I want you all to take a bunch of these and start using them to invite people to our church, Okay. It's very important that as we go into this new year and people need hope, that we bring them. We bring them to this place so that they can find Jesus. Amen? So, so take a stack of them. I think we've got like 500 of these things printed. So take a little stack with you on your way out and start using them. And um, next week, we're going to have uh, a couple more things. You'll, you'll notice a few things happening. Josh alluded to this during the offering. As we do this changeover, we realized it's actually really hard and takes a lot of coordination to just flip a switch and have everything change all at once. So what you'll notice is that over the next 10 days or so, things will start to change. Our social media has already changed over to Hope Church. The new Hope Boone website will launch later this week. Um, and so until then, highcountrychristian.com will still be live. Um, you'll start to see new things pop up. We'll get more signs. Uh, in the back area, we're, we're expanding the Hope Hub Okay, so the Hope Hub will be like, a, like an information center where you can get anything that is going on at the church. It'll be available there at the Hope Hub. You, we'll have a giving kiosk there where you can give digitally online um, at the kiosk and you can sign up for events. Everything will happen at the Hope Hub. So that'll be coming in the next week or so. And then uh, lastly, next week, we have, um, we're going to be taking everybody's orders for T-shirts. So we are creating t-shirts. One of them is a Hope Dealer t-shirt. One of them says, <laughs> that's right, one of them says Hope Grows Here on it. And then the other one has our logo and our stamp that also says Hope Church and has Hope Grows Here on it. Uh, I don't remember what the prices are for the t-shirts. Leslie's got all that information. Um, but what you want to do next week is we'll have order forms and we'll, we're just going to take everybody's orders so you can check that out at the Hope Hub next week. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm very excited. This has been a good time today, hasn't it? You have something? Please. Yes. This is her baby. This will be very fast. I just, um, you know, we are called to reach people. And it's sometimes hard to get out of yourself. And I know that for me. <laughs> I can go to a grocery store and my mind is on my grocery list. Um, but these cards are so important because, you know, say you're checking out 
at the cash register and you pay. And then you hand that cash register, that card, and you say, hey, I just want to give this to you. And it's just that open door of connection of they can read it. And it's a great card. I mean, it, it's, you know, it ignited something in me when I just read it. But it will train us to get out of ourselves and to be other people minded. The kingdom is always about other people. And God calls us to get uncomfortable sometimes in our own flesh and to ask him to give us his eyes everywhere we go. And it's, it, we have to train ourselves to do that. But I, I believe and trust that these cards, as we take a stack with us, that we'll start training ourselves to look for opportunities to connect for people. Awesome. Thank you. That was so good. You said that better than I did. Well done. That's awesome. Now take, take those things and, and just what Gracie said is perfect. Use them. Get outside of your comfort zone. Uh, invite somebody. You never know what kind of door will be opened by a simple little card. You might have an opportunity to pray somebody, pray with somebody right there. You know, all kinds of cool things can happen. So praise God. What a great day. Guys, I'm so glad that we're Hope Church. I'm really, really glad. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.